Steve Cochran, and this is live from my office. Before we get started today, a couple of words on the situation in the world at large. I'm actually recording this on Friday, the 25th of February. So whenever you're listening to this, I'm going to try to make this as non-dated as possible and simply say this. Say a prayer for the planet, for the world for the people on this planet for all of us this life we're living has gotten bananas and in large part because of some really bad people bad people here bad people there and is there anybody worse now than vladimir putin the people of ukraine did nothing to deserve what they've gone through and there's really only a limited thing that the rest of the world can do until he takes one step too far again this may well be dated by the time you've heard it but the world would be a better place without vladimir putin the people of russia would be better off certainly the people of europe but we're not out of this until we're out of this and the messianic maniacal narcissistic egomaniac hopes and dreams of one of the richest people in the history of the world. You know, Vladimir Putin's probably got Jeff Bezos kind of money. He might be able to lend Bezos money. You think he earned that fair and square? The whole thing's an outrage. So if you're at all inclined spiritually, I hope you'll say a prayer for all people, people you like, people you don't like, and certainly the people of Ukraine going through this, the people of Russia under the thumb of that little creep Vladimir Putin. We all need help and we need God's help. So again, if you can keep that in mind and uh, say a prayer for the planet. How's that for a small order? Uh, Today I offer hope and the hope comes in the form of Marsha Kimpton. Marsha Kimpton comes from a family whose name you may know. Uh, Her dad started the Kimpton hotel chain she chose a different path actress writer uh she's funny and she's got a show called an american in amsterdam she's the american she lives in amsterdam now and we talk about a number of things including our mutual concern over how we handle depression and bipolar disorder in this country she lost her brother to it i've spoken many times about losing my friend Rebecca Cutler to it, both by suicide. Uh, It's an awful, awful disease. She did a movie called Bardo Blues. We talk about that as well, which deals specifically with what we're talking about here. But she's upbeat. She's upbeat. She's hopeful. She's already had two lives, three lives, four lives in Hollywood. And she continues to strive. And I respect that very much. Marsha Kempton's appearing with Jennifer Weigel, my friend Jen at Madam Zuzu's Tea House in Highland Park. That's Tuesday night, March 1st. Tuesday night, March 1st, Madam Zuzu's. Six o'clock, they'll do a and a and then right after that, there's three episodes of An American in Amsterdam. They're all about 20, 22 minutes apiece. And uh, you'll get a chance to meet Marsha, the actress, the writer, who, by the way, is getting closer and closer to a deal at Netflix for An American Abroad another slice of this show 
um very creative very creative and just a cool lady to talk to i like her uh billy corgan and chloe who did madame juju's chi house in in highland park are the hosts and uh, billy's been very upfront from his pumpkins days all the way through everything he does now to talk about dealing with depression as well uh you don't snap out of it you don't walk it off and until we treat it with the same severity and seriousness that we do other diseases we're not going to get beyond it and depression affects more of us than any disease so uh good for marcia kempton for being out there talking about not just her brother but her own struggles and about her new very funny show and her very serious movie about the ravages of bipolar disorder put together in a feature-length film uh called bardo blues which is great she also wrote a book um that kind of chronicles her life so far that i think she'll be talking about as well i just you know i mean i'm I'm a fan what can i tell you so marcia kempton joins me in just a few minutes to talk about it so we go from all the dark clouds of the world to a little bit of sunshine in the form of marcia and my friend jen weigel uh there'll be a link in the show notes for you to get tickets for the six o'clock show tuesday night march 1st highland park madam zuzu's and uh you can click it there or you could simply search Jen Weigel, Marsha Kimpton, K-I-M-P-T-O-N, online. And uh, Google that up, and, uh, and, and you'll get everything you need there as well. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, this is Live from My Office. My name is Steve Cochran. Thank you to David Hochberg and T. Hochberg, the title sponsors of this program. All right, here's what we'll do. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and Marsha joins me next. This is Live from My Office. If you're purchasing a new home, refinancing your existing home, securing a VA loan, a reverse mortgage, do what I did when I needed help making money on my house and not having my house cost me too much money. I called Team Hochberg, a trusted local lender. Manny, age 40, a project manager, income 70000 a year, called to get pre-qualified to purchase a home. The challenge was Manny was carrying $20,000 of debt on his credit cards and didn't have a down payment. So he called Team Hochberg for a free consultation. Team Hochberg loan officer Juan Rodriguez created a plan for Manny to A, pay off his debt, B, save for a down payment, C, purchase the home. So let's review. Before calling Team Hochberg, Manny didn't qualify. Four months after calling Team Hochberg, his debts paid off, he saved for a down payment, and he successfully purchased his first home couldn't happen without team hochberg and they've helped me and thousands of my podcast listeners too like manny create a plan to purchase a new home and they can't help you if you don't call but when you do call you're going to get exceptional customer service 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com and tune into home sweet home chicago on wgn it's hosted by david hochberg saturdays after house marts at 10 a.m home site financials and equal housing lender nmls number 1124061 Well, it is a pleasure and you know in show business i often speak of cheap thrills it's not cheap thrill. this is a very involved thrill to bring in the extremely talented and lovely uh marcia kempton who some of you may know and for those of you who don't you should and you get a chance to do that up close and personal on tuesday night march 1st at madame zuzu's north of chicago we'll get to the plug in a second but marcia how are you i'm great I, it's so great to meet you i mean i know i knew of you in Chicago, and um, I haven't lived there in a long time, and I 
just talking before this interview, it's pretty amazing to see how much we have in common. And you really did your research for the interview, which not everybody does. So I really appreciate that. Well, listen, it's the least I could do. And I respect your work. But let's do a little background here because you are a Chicago girl originally, right? Yeah, I went to New Trier. I grew up in Glenview and Wilmette. And when my parents moved to Wilmette to New Trier East, I felt I was betraying New Trier West, having been a cheerleader freshman year. So I stayed with West and drove from Ashland Avenue over to New Trier West. Wow. And I just saw a picture that New Trier East is being demolished or has been demolished. How dare they? How, How dare, dare they? they? The institution, a great one. So how old were you when you left uh, Chicago? 18, really, because I went to Indiana University okay. and then I, you know, of course, came back for summer jobs and stuff like that. Um, and then I went straight into L.A., right into the, the beast of Hollywood at 22 and uh, had a terrible experience there. So I went to New York City and tried Wall Street and then I went to London with my old college boyfriend. And then I came back to New York and then went to San Francisco and then ended up in L.A. again and then New York and then Aspen. And now I'm recently living in Amsterdam. So I've moved around. Yeah, it's almost like you're in an international witness protection program and they keep moving you around. Right. So. I, the thing is, my daughter's like, Mom, you're never staying in one place. But I really do like to travel. and I like to move around. That's been a little bit difficult recently, as you can sure. imagine. But I, sure. I went up against obstacles and made it happen. <laughs> um, your series on Vimeo is an American in Amsterdam. Before we get to that, though, did you always know you wanted to write and act? Yes, I knew at 12 years old, I saw myself uh, when I was watching Dick Clark uh, do the American Bandstand. And I would watch Johnny Carson, my stepfather at the time, as well as Midnight Special. And I knew I was going to have a late night show. And that took me until 38 years old uh, to finally get my own late night show out of San Francisco, only to have it taken off the air 14 weeks later. And to be told by every male Hollywood executive, the world's not ready for a woman in late night. And I'm not giving up on that dream, no matter what age I am. But yeah, I I saw it very vividly. Uh, Did I think I was going to end up being a writer, director, producer, and actress? No, that was all by default because nobody would hire me. So I forced, it forced me to learn how to do every single role. Well, and that's the thing that I think all of us, and this is not just men of a certain age, this is men of all ages, have been forced to come to grips with, rightfully so, in this Me Too generation, is that it's not an equal playing field for women. It's just not. And the more we take a step back and teach our sons and our nephews or our younger brothers, um, you can be a good guy and have an amazing life, whether you choose to be with one person or 100 people, um, but you don't ever put women in a position where they feel like they're being exploited and they do things that they don't want to do. And it's the ultimate umbrella, right? No is no. I, I just love the way you said that. And I'm deeply spiritual. So something came out of the sky, this piece oh. of, uh, you know, part of the lamp fell when you said that. So I think I, I really appreciate you saying that because my parents told me I could do anything. And when I went out to Hollywood at 22, being a superstar in high school and college, I really broke ground in, in both places doing things that nobody had done before. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think it was possible to get the response that I did. I got to meet with Irving Azoff and he was the head of MCA, you know, did the Good greatest shit. bands like the Eagles. Right. Sure. And he was the biggest in the biggest. Right. And he had lunch. All with five me feet of him. Father. He was a giant. 
<laughs> right. And uh, my father had a friend that was friends with him. So he was like my first introduction to Hollywood. And he said, you can be a secretary or production assistant. And that's it. And I said, what? And I said, well, I'm not going to be any man's secretary. So I'll be a production assistant. And for the first year in Hollywood, all I was able to do was make coffee at 5 a.m. for rock videos and then clean up the coffee at the end of the day. They wouldn't even let me speak. So in that process, I was a very determined woman and I developed the show called the Rock and Roll Evening News. Uh, walked into a producer and didn't know what the Writers Guild of America was. And I was that young, 23 and innocent. And sure. I wanted to be on TV because that was my dream. And I didn't, I had gotten offered an uh, internship at the Today Show because I had brought Jane Pauley uh, to Indiana University and she was absolutely amazing. Everything that you would hope she would be, right? Sure. But they only want to pay you $14,000 in New York City. So uh, I said, you know what? I'll go to LA and make some money. And I was able to make a little bit more than that, not knowing that basically when I walked in with this idea, uh, which was like the entertainment tonight of rock and roll called the rock and roll evening news sure. that the producer would end up going ahead and not and registering it under his name and come back a month later and say, Oh, all your ideas are here. Here it is. And I didn't see my name. And he said, well, you're too young. I said, I wrote every word of it. The irony of it is that we were going around to all the record companies, Warner brothers, A&M at the time and MCA and Irving Azoff was in one of the meetings. Right. Sure. And he turned to that producer, who I'll say unnamed, and said, who wrote this show? This is amazing. And at that point, when he, the, the guy was looking at Irving Azoff, he couldn't lie. I, my name was not on WGA. He said, Marsha. And so I saw this incredible show start to be realized. But he sure. said, you can't go on camera because you don't highlight your hair. I highlighted today, but at the time I was insulted. I was from the Midwest. I wasn't right. a blonde bimbo. So I had the regular color hair. I can't go on TV because you haven't colored your hair. And ironically, Eleanor Mondale ended up getting the job instead of me, same age and everything. And then he said, um, I've got a closet for you. He pulled out the file cabinets because I had a really nice office, but when they hired the whole entire crew, he said, I've got a closet for you because you'll be the production assistant on the show that you wrote. And so I was out of there. I went to New York city and, and this and said, is, okay, this is what, this is what's maddening about anybody <laughs> that tries to go to Hollywood and to a lesser extent to New York with a dream and with a creative brain and with great material is they will bring you in and they'll say, uh, Steve Cochran, you're 60 and you're bald. We're looking for a Steve Cochran type and we don't think you're it. And that's, a, that's the type of thing you're talking about dealing with all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. yours. You wrote every word of it, but, you know, we're going to take it. But I'm going to talk about the positive and go ahead. I not tell you how many years, because I would give my age away. But um, and that really doesn't make a difference, because eventually, if all my dreams happen and I get a Netflix deal for the show that I'm pitching right now called American Abroad, this will be all understood because I wrote a book called Escaping Hollywood um, Blue, Bardo, basically, because yeah. my movie yeah. was movies called Bardo Blues on Amazon Prime. And basically in that whole entire book, it is exactly what you said. It's about how did I transcend Hollywood and not sell my soul to the devil? Now, there's great people. I hear Reese Witherspoon sure. and Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt are great. OK, so there are great people. I don't know them personally. But my point is, is that 
with how many nightmares and of course the men asking you to sleep with them and then not getting the deal 20th century fox because you wouldn't sleep with the president because you're a good midwest girl and you have morals uh well guess what now i can produce direct write everything right and i'll have ownership of what i'm doing and i'm fully on 10 intent on doing the late night show so after going through the journey i look back and say at least i didn't sell my soul to the devil and i learned all these skills and it's not over until the fat lady sings and i really believe i'm going to pull this off but most people wouldn't be able to endure and i'm not saying i'm special i'm just saying most people wouldn't have the strength to endure what i went through because i had the talent and i appreciate you noticing that well and that's just it by the way you look fabulous so enough about how old you may or may not be uh so but the the thing to remember out of what you just said too the walk the the marching orders to me are if you if you live it you love it you wake up and you think about it you go to bed you think about it don't quit don't quit chase it you don't have a choice it's interesting how people say how did you survive and I go, well, why, why do you ask that? Because writers are exactly like me. I am a writer of creative content. But when you go to like my stepsister, who's written a novel, they never question, was she going to write the novel or keep on writing novels? Sure. Right. It's only because Hollywood and being able to pay your bills. And I've waitressed plenty and I have been seriously in debt and down to zero almost every single month of my life. And, uh, you know, as an artist and any artist listening, knows this isn't a choice. Right. So a lot of people do have to make that choice. But for me, it never was a choice. It's I'd rather die before not being an artist. It's who you are and it's what you do. Now, you tell me a little bit about before this, before we started recording, but an American in Amsterdam, again, at Madame Zuzu's, and we'll give you the full plug coming up. Uh, you're going to show, I think, the first of five. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to show the first three. They give you an hour to show. So they're about 25 minutes. The first three shows of five that I had to self-distribute because of COVID. And again, I don't want to complain because I know I'm lucky, but I had a great show that I had put together. Wrote It was supposed to be a film called American in Amsterdam, but we couldn't finish it because of COVID. So I made it into a TV series and pitched it all around. And everybody go, oh, COVID, we can't buy this right now, basically because I wasn't famous. And that there was no other reason because, oh, this is so funny. This is so talented, whatever. And then I finally said, screw it. I'm just going to put it on Vimeo. They give you 90%. Right now, I think I've made $5. Maybe maybe <laughs> I've made 20 I don't know. I didn't get a 1099. But I get on Netflix, and I was actually thinking, I hope this is my problem. They want to buy that series, right? Right. Well, I'm way better off holding it off. Get on Netflix with American Abroad and keep that Vimeo. That could be my my a lot of money when you get that's on interesting. Netflix. Because I'm no, really proud of the comedy. And that's the part that I love about Vimeo. They d- definitely have a different they do not promote you. And you have to you know spend a lot, lot of money on marketing. So, of course, that's why I'm in Chicago is to market. But it's a five part series. It's basically all my own footage that I've shot everything. It's a fictional version of Marsha. It's an extension of her and basically the struggles of Hollywood and the struggles of being an around. Basically, the only job I could have gotten if I had succumbed, which is a reality TV. And that's just not me. I, yeah, but I, here's the know, interesting thing. You, you're able to in this because I've seen it. You, you do this great job of, of parodying um, reality TV. But the way you put this together initially with the footage of you in the early days on TV and then San Francisco and all that. 
There's yeah. moments where I stop and I go, hold on a second. I'm watching a documentary. Now it's a reality show, but it's all it's funny. It's funny throughout. So I've never seen it cut that way. I've never seen that concept. So I think you got something pretty original here. Well, that is the greatest compliment you can give an artist. I do think it's original. And that's what I was trying to go for. The only footage on there that is real is when I was on the morning show in San Francisco and my late night show. The right. rest of it is all fictional, but it all looks like it is real. And, um, and you know, I own the footage, so that's why I could put it out there. Um, so I, it's kind of exciting to hear that you feel that. And, that. and then, like I said, the only job I could get is reality TV, and I didn't want reality TV. And so I make a mock of what it would be if I sure. had to be on reality TV. Well, you're, you're, your acting's tremendous. You got great funny chops. Yeah. You know, you make fun of yourself yeah. in this that you can't tell a joke, but you got great comedic timing. And uh, <laughs> so you, I, I, th I think the show does a great job. But the obvious question here is, how'd you end up in Amsterdam? Fell in love, but that didn't work uh, out. So chased a boy I, or I the boy chased the you? Uh, you know complicated i don't really okay. want to go into it. that's for another podcast i get it right yeah. exactly uh, yeah. we'll see what the end result is in the end i'm in amsterdam and i love it i love living there i mean i'm proud to be an american and that's why the name of my show is called an american abroad that i'm pitching to netflix right now uh it basically when i went to shoot this in amsterdam i had such an amazing time and as i say in that show american an american in Amsterdam quarantine, because it was during the quarantine times. That's the one that's on Vimeo. I, I really do love the Dutch. And the only thing I don't like is the weather. And it's so similar to Chicago. I pretty much can handle it. So, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to live in Europe. My daughter is old enough and independent and we'll see each other every two months. So there's something that's pretty amazing about living in Europe and everybody speaks English and I love riding my bike. And it's just, it's a really spectacular, beautiful city. It's so small. I, everything about it I love, except for the weather, like I said. So I don't know how long I'm there. I don't really stay in a place very long, but having done all the big cities, um, I'm, you know, I, I feel like the, the show, when it sells, we're going to be where we just went with American Abroad that I'm pitching and I have a nine part uh, TV series is uh, we went to Greece in Turkey and we were supposed to go to South Africa, but the virus stopped us. So then we went to France and Portugal and then we went to South Africa in November. And when I sell this show, we'll go back to, I think, Rwanda. We're going to go to Bhutan if it opens up, Nepal, wow. India. Yeah. And so my whole idea with American Abroad, which nobody can see right now, and I can't even put the trailer up, because Netflix is so exclusive about, you know, making yeah, yeah, sure yeah. nobody's seen it. Don't screw um, the deal up. What's it? No, I'm not. Well, I, mean, I can talk up. about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to screw the deal up. But what it is, is my dream. We were we were traveling when nobody was traveling, which was in June. And nobody was in Turkey. I mean, Cappadocia is one of the most special places on planet Earth and nobody was there. And it's usually very busy. So what my feeling is, is to get people traveling again and not sure. fearful. Granted, there are a lot of restrictions around it still, but I'm hoping by the time American Abroad gets out there, all those restrictions have been uh, eliminated and you're feeling like you could travel. But a lot of people are still fearful. So the idea of a show of a comedy mock 
travel reality show like Anthony Bourdain travels around the world. And it's about a relationship really literally on some level, the man that I didn't end up with. So I have in this fictional world, the man in my head that I wrote about is in the TV series. So it's a romantic comedy along with a woman that has a travel show. And my goal is to unite people through travel because I think I think we're being separated so much, not just with the virus, but also with travel. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. And the cool thing to me about Amsterdam is you're a little bit isolated <clears throat> from some of the craziness that started, uh, you know, in the last few days with Ernest because you're on the coast. And Amsterdam almost seems like a Europe unto itself. It feels like that. I have to say, having traveled all throughout Europe, it has its own uh, thinking. And, you know, it's, it's really based on free minds. And, and free thinking. And that goes back to the 1600s. And if I had a past life, I know I was there because it really has this really free spirit thinking. And there's a lot of healers there and a lot of um, spirituality that I didn't expect of people really praying and hoping for this kind of new world and new earth. And they're very different than France or any of the country, even the Scandinavian countries like Denmark. I mean, I would say it's closest to Denmark, but again, I don't think there's any place uh, quite like the Dutch and uh, the Netherlands. It's a pretty special place. Um, and the other thing I would say too, is that's a perfect transition into um, Bardo blues uh, because spirituality is such a big part of that. And uh, again, it's a testament to you and your range that you could be as funny as you are in an American in Amsterdam and still act and get it on the page and Bardo Blues. All of this, I guess, in some way is sort of semi-autobiographical, but talk about the movie because I'd like people to see it. Yeah, it's the only drama I've ever done. I've always had the mission to just make people laugh and and bring great artists and, and do comedy. But this just came out of my studies of Buddhism and Swedenborg. I wanted to get a master's in Swedenborgian studies, but I have dyslexia like my father, and I just could not get through the reading. That's after my late night show came off the air, and I went through a huge spiritual crisis. And I went to a church, a Swedenborg church, not even knowing what it was in San Francisco. And he basically was a 17th century mystic that uh, heard from Christ um, and, and again, I kind of believe in all religions. So I really want to state that because I grew up sure. in a completely Jewish area and yeah. I have a lot of close Jewish friends. So I don't just say you have to believe in Christ, uh, but I do believe in Christ consciousness in the sense of love. Right. And so he but he really believed in Christ. And that's why I balanced the movie with Buddhism and put it in northern Thailand. So it's kind of got a neutral zone about religion because religion can be a problem. But if you know anything about Emanuel Swedenborg, and I showed it at their convention, you would know that there's so many Swedenborgian concepts. And his idea was that the heaven or hell was within. And it's not like you went to a church to find uh, Christ or heaven. And basically, I studied so many of his books and his thinking, and he he changed my life so significantly in the sense that I suffered from depression for a long time, not knowing even it was depression. I just thought everybody felt this way. Then I found out it was depression. And at that time, as we spoke earlier, you didn't really medicate with pills, right? I probably medicate with alcohol and marijuana too much. So then when I had the spiritual crisis of my dream being pulled off the air, the late night 
which I wasn't uh, able to air in San Francisco. I've been on only 14 weeks, was $150,000 in debt. I just was divorced. I couldn't be any worse off, right? I basically went into these studies of Emanuel Swedenborg and Buddhism, and this is where Bardo Blues was written. And I was combining the two concepts about the heaven and hell that I was feeling personally, mostly hell, and my brother's who had actually, he had mental illness. I could have been borderline, right? If I hadn't found yoga and meditation, really, really live not in depression anymore. But he, on the other hand, was in and out of hospitals and doctors, and he was a brilliant artist, a really creative artist. And so I based this movie and it just came out of me, as I was saying, I think it was the first time I really knew that God was giving me uh, the story because before it was always comedy about myself and an extension of myself. And this was literally channeled through me. And then I had this brilliant writer who plays my comedy guy that you've seen in, in the Vimeo series. Uh, my big fat guy, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Anthony, yeah. who goes yeah. back. Well, he rewrote my I think it was a 250 page screenplay. Uh, it was so long and he brought it down to 90 pages. And he's by, by really the, way, the kids, one that made that. Writing. Just for people I have referenced, 250 pages is roughly two movies, not one. <laughs> it was way too long. And I, it was me just pontificating about Swedenborg or Buddhism. He's like, Marcia, nobody even talks this way. So he did a brilliant job of capturing really to heaven and hell. And then I have these incredible cinematographers, Justin Ian McLeese, who I've been working on all my comedy with, and they just did American Abroad. And they did the most, we had no money. I literally ran out of money in Northern Thailand and had to call my brother who was alive at the moment. Okay. He's no longer alive. And uh, to say, can you pay for my hotel bill? I paid the hotel bill of the whole cast and crew, but I, I couldn't get out of my nicer hotel. Right. Um, and the little Meridian. And he's like, I already gave you $50,000 towards this film. And the film was supposed to cost about 350,000 ended up about 550 which is no money. So to give you an idea, right. these guys went in Northern Thailand, we'd have a wall and they'd find a purple light and they turn on an old TV. You probably remember that with the Thai person on there. Really? It was just such a brilliant. And then my editor, who's no longer here, uh, who ended up uh, unfortunately killing himself, he ended up just doing this brilliant editing job. So I'm so proud of him. We won 40 awards, but we well, did not get wonderful- to Sundance. That's why nobody knows about it. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a wonderful movie because it tells the story of the destruction that can be caused um, by uh, bipolar disorder and depression in general, but without giving the movie up because you really, the ending is so crucial. You know, I really want to say what the message is, but you need to see the movie to get the message and to get the impact of the message because it ties into this whole conversation because you take this horrible situation and i've lost a very good friend to bipolar disorder um and a couple other friends to suicide so we know how painful that is but you bring it home in a way which is really kind of marching orders for the rest of us if you walk away from that movie and you don't go i need to look at my life in a different way in a more positive way that's the thing that's really great about and the thing is about yeah those locations that you guys picked they're unbelievable and little do I know you're, you're in a cafe and you got the right angle on the camera or whatever. That's nice tricks, director. But it looked really beautiful. 
What is tell me what are you talking about in particular the cafe? Because I really want to know. Well, the cafe, well, there's that long shot of right. you at the cafe, and it's the morning right. at the cafe. And very subtly, you see that shot of the beach and the ocean blended in where it doesn't become a waste. The sky shots are fantastic. The desert shots as well, which I know weren't in, in, in Thailand. But everything in it about Thailand, I felt like, and I'm not spending any time there, but you captured it in a way you haven't seen. In the same way you see every movie in Chicago will shoot Michigan Avenue. Every movie in L.A. shoots certain locations. You gave it a look that I hadn't seen in other places. And there's been a lot of movies that have had at least a piece of Thailand as part of their story. Well, thank you. I, I, that's what I tried to do. And I just it means so much to me to hear what you think about it, because a lot of people don't do northern Thailand. That's one thing. And then secondly, uh, it was a very strange incident that I had envisioned all of them. And I found this location guy and every time you go up to the place that I was talking about, it was there. And it was almost like I had seen it before. It was very strange how that happened. But I have a couple, if we have the time, two yeah. amazing stories yeah, that yeah, I think yeah. I should share about this. Yeah. Um, I, you have to have a producer when you're working in Thailand. They have to do all the paperwork. Well, I, I find out that this producer, or at least the way he acted, is definitely bipolar. So the movie I sell as a man going to northern Thailand, uh, it's a mystery drama looking for something and find something completely else. In, in, when you look on Amazon Prime, I kind of wish it didn't say mental illness because it deters you from watching it because it's not a completely depressing movie, but it deals with mental illness. OK, so the guy I'm in, uh, I'm getting a cheap ticket that goes through Finland from New York City to go to uh, Bangkok. And he cancels on me in Helsinki, where I'm sitting there waiting 36 hours for my flight. And like, how can you cancel? I find out later, you know, he suffers from mental illness. Well, I have nobody that I can meet to go see the locations. And I'm on my way to Thailand and I have no time. We're filming in four months and I'm doing the entire film without an assistant because we didn't have the money. Uh, so I just start cold calling every producer in Thailand that's online. I don't realize I get the producer of The Hangover. I don't know that. All I'm wow. like, hey, let me tell you, I'm in Helsinki and I'm supposed to do my little independent film and blah, blah, blah. So he, he feels so bad for me after hearing this. He meets me at the hotel that I'm staying at. And I was staying at a nice hotel because my family's in the hotel business. So I wasn't going skimp. I was staying at the peninsula, which was a joke because I didn't have enough money to be sure. there. And so he thinks I've got some money, right? At Peninsula, he sits down, he goes, you know, okay, so what's your budget? And I, at the time, I honest to God, thought I could do the film for 60,000 or a hundred thousand. That's what I thought. He goes, um, our budget's $60,000 a day. I was like, okay, thank you for meeting him. He said, but I'll find you someone that you can afford, which he did, which was amazing. And that person I met later. And what was the other thing that I wanted to say that was so high? But I mean, that's, a that's, that's, a, that's another reason that you believe rightfully so this movie was meant to be made because the grace of that individual to not go, okay, thanks for meeting with me. You don't have the money, bye-bye. He wanted you to be a success with this. Yeah, I, the, the amount of grace that was in this movie was it was this was so out of my control, because, again, I got to a point in December where we're doing the rehearsals and we got this great lead, Stephen McClintock, and everything is going great. And I just realized I don't have enough time. We're filming in January. 
now February 1st, I think it was. And I don't have enough time. I do not have a physically enough time to get myself looking like a movie star. Right. And I went to Hawaii to do my rehearsals, which are great because it was on the way to Thailand. So mm-hmm. I could look a little bit better and get everything done without an assistant. I did have a on camera uh, 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 producer in Thailand, like I told you. And all of a sudden, I just said, you're just going to make it work. I bought all the plane tickets. I gone everybody there. It was only a crew of 12 people. And I just said, you're going to make this work. And I have this really funny story that I also went blank. I'm sure I'll remember by the end, but it was nonstop grace. I, 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 I can't tell you how many. Th- oh, the whorehouse. This is a great story. Yeah. So you'll see one whorehouse. It looks really plain where they have purple. And that was so there was two whorehouses in town. Right. Now, we all know in Bangkok, it's sex slavery, and I don't want to be promoting sex slavery at all. But I had to show what would be hell and what would be heaven, and there could be nothing more. The interesting thing about it in Shanghai is that the nicer whorehouse those people didn't look that unhappy. They were some of the wealthiest people and they did not look unhappy. And I'm being honest with you about that. But in the other one where there was nothing on the walls, it was, it was absolutely terrible. And you felt the hell. So my cinematographer goes in and goes, Marsha, this is that other whorehouse has got so much more color. It looks so much better on camera. And I'm like, we don't have a thousand dollars. I mean, they said a thousand dollars and I don't know how this happened. All I know is that we got it. So we got these two different types of whorehouses. And the only thing that she asked while us filming, it was really quite dynamic colors in that place. If you see the whorehouse in the movie, she said, as long as we can continue doing business. And I'm like, they only had to stop us once to have people go pie and go upstairs. And I thought, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. As long as you can still do business. (laughs) Well, see, that's the thing, too, is is that is real life funny. Um, And it also when a movie crew comes into a location, generally they turn the place upside down. So you had to figure out how to shoot (laughs) without interrupting commerce. As it was being done. On the done. first floor, we were definitely the thing in town. But, you know, when when we said cut, <laughs> business could go on. It, there wasn't a lot. Let me tell you, there weren't a lot of men that wanted to pass by. But it was a very strange reality. And the horrors, we could hardly get any horrors because it's so looked frowned upon in Highland. So we got lady boys, which they're transgenders, and they really look like women. And only the woman that played the lead was willing to risk her... Uh, reputation. She was a top DJ in Chiang Mai and as a woman, not allowed a lot of opportunity and said, okay, I'll do it. And she just did a brilliant job because I didn't want our lead. You know, I'm not saying anything against transgenders, but he wanted to be with a woman. He's very heterosexual. And we were wondering if we're even going to be able to find uh, a female lead uh, that would be a horror in the movie. See, that's interesting culturally, because I didn't know that about Thailand in general, because the sex trade, not just sex slavery, that's awful, obviously, but the sex trade is such a big part of the economy there. The idea that they would hold the women in contempt, in denial, it's, 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 it's beyond strange. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, tragic, actually, but I will yeah, really say, is. and in Shanghai, it did not feel like there was full on sex slavery. It felt very, very different um, than it when you're in Bangkok. And, and again, as you said, just to be clear, 
this is not promoting uh, sex slavery at all. No, it's this to movie. show what hell is. Exactly. And, and, exactly. And, and it is a form of hell for some people. Oh, I mean, it has to a be. lot of people, actually. No, yeah. It has to be. All right, we got to get the plug in here before we run out of time. Okay. And that is Madam Zuzu's uh the let's see well you know you can let's think about a podcast you can hear it anytime so by the time you're hearing this we'll give you the actual real world timing and that is tomorrow night march 1st um you're going to show an hour that's the first three episodes of the series which people can get on vimeo right now right yeah and they can get it at my website marshakimpton.com but i'm not s-h-a so i'm m-a-r-c-i-a-k-i-m P-T-O-N.com. You can purchase it. You do have to become a member, unfortunately, of Vimeo uh, to get it. And it's then, easy to take, uh, though. It really is. I've done it. It's, it's, it's easy. And, you know, there's a trial thing, you know, so right. don't sweat it. Yeah. And then Bardo Blues right now, if you want to go to Amazon, it used to be free on Prime. I've noticed, I guess we haven't sold enough movies or something like that. I don't understand. Um, well, but, they just put them on different shelves at different times, but I'd highly recommend Bardo Blues, um, thank you. especially if you've, uh, you, you've known or loved somebody that's dealing with it and who doesn't, right, on some level. Exactly, especially in these times, yeah. So, and then the new uh, show, I don't know where it's going to land, but we hope it's Netflix. It's called American Abroad. And, and that could um, be calendar 22 or to be determined, obviously. Well, I'm hoping it's a fall. It's completely done. The only thing is just getting the music rights. We've edited it. We've done everything. I co-wrote it with my lead and I wrote it and well, I directed and produced it. And we went to five different countries and it's really exciting. It's a romantic comedy. I'm really excited about it. And now I've got a bunch of different screenplays. I've got a big pharma screenplay that I can't seem to sell. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) It doesn't make Big Pharma look really, really good. Um, well, but you but know I'm what? With to... yeah, with, with dope sick and things, I would think Big Pharma would be its own category now. Well, thank you. That's I, I think that's a very interesting point. Again, it's like until you're famous, it's really hard to you know get some of these. I did get to Reese Witherspoon's company, and I thought the screenplay was great, but not everybody wants to touch. Uh, big pharma. And then I've got a Joan of Art meets me of me too, a contemporary Joan of Art story that meets me too, that I'm working on. And I want to work on um, uh, an upbeat, if it's possible. I was just in Africa, Tanzania, anti-poaching movie. It's kind of a love story, biracial, stopping people from killing the elephants and and it's so hard to always I want to try to bring movies that make you move and think like Bardo Blues, but sure. also don't make you depressed, because I find that so much today, the stuff is so depressing and we've got enough depressing stuff out there. So, yeah, life is way too heavy. And uh, but the, I'll leave you with this, Marsha Kimpton. The one thing that I really like about your work is um, it's it's entertaining, but it also makes you feel better. So. Aww. You know, Steve, so uh, you're like one of my best fans already. Thank you. Yeah, no, I salute you. I really do. I salute you. So Thank go to marshakipton.com, links to everything there. If you've not been to Madame Zuzu's, it's a really cool place. It's got this this typical um Billy from the Smashing Pumpkins vibe to it that you would hope and expect. <clears throat> but he has been very upfront about the depression he's dealt with in his life. So I know he's looking forward to having a stage for this as well. And Billy and his wife have uh, created this entertainment space there, which I really think you're gonna like. Yeah, and Jen Weigel, who's such a great oh, she's friend. she's the best. She's yeah, the best. we did a podcast called The Climb Together, and she's the one that introduced me to you, and she's the one that's doing the hosting. I just, I love Jen, and I think she's just one of the best interviewers around. 
Well, you, you know, you, you and she remind me of each other because she never stops working either. So she's <laughs> well, when you love what you do, yeah, it's not like you're the same way. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> it is a pleasure to meet you. I wish you nothing but success and I hope we can do this again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. I really right. appreciate it. If you're purchasing a new home, refinancing your existing home, securing a VA loan or a reverse mortgage, well, do what we do. Call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender, my kids, my family, my friends, my listeners, my coworkers through the years. I mean, everybody, everybody I know, they come to me, they go, Team Hochberg, real deal. Yep. And they always come back and go, thanks for the setup, including some very skeptical people. It just gets it done. And so does Team Hochberg. Denise, age 70, lived in a $400,000 home with her husband until he suddenly passed away. Denise planned on selling the home and moving into an apartment before contacting Team Hochberg for a free reverse mortgage consultation. Team Hochberg's reverse mortgage expert explained Denise didn't have to sell the house that she and her late husband lived in for 40 years and could refinance it into a reverse mortgage loan. Look, reverse mortgages have all these myths that exist out there about them. And it may not be right for you, but you know how you find out? You contact Team Hochberg because they will take care of you and give you the straight deal. And they'll tell you if it's right for you or not. So before calling, Denise was selling her home, moving into an apartment. After calling, she got a reverse mortgage, allowed her to afford and to stay in the home that she shared with her husband and family for 40 years. Team Hochberg has helped me and thousands of podcast listeners to this uh, show uh, refinance after the death of a loved one, for instance, uh, just like they helped Denise. But they can't help if you don't call 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. And don't forget to tune in to Home Sweet Home Chicago, hosted by David, Saturdays at 10 a.m. on AM 720 WGN. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. All right, before we go, remembering Marsha Kimpton's brother, we ask you to check out onemind.org. Onemind.org. That's O-N-E-M-I-N-D.org. And also Rebecca'sDream.org for my friend Rebecca Cullen. Both are great organizations, both worthy of your support. And uh, you'll talk to and deal with folks who have walked the same walk if you're struggling with depression or bipolar disorder. And it's really important work. So again, onemind.org, rebeccasdream.org. Check out either or both and contribute where you can. Don't forget, again, Marsha Kempton, Jen Weigel, tomorrow night, assuming you're listening to this on Monday. This is what gets weird about the whole podcast thing, right? This is one thing that was easier when I was doing the radio show. Most days I knew what day it was. Uh, but it's uh, March 1st, 6 o'clock. Madam Zuzu's in Highland Park. Again, in the show notes, we have the information. Uh, go to MarshaKimpton.com or JenWeigel.com for links on everything they're up to and social links as well. I appreciate you being here, and I mostly appreciate Ross Cochran for putting this show together. We'll see you next time in an uh, announcement on where we're going next when we do the next episode of live from my office 30 years plus on the airwaves you have turned your dial to me now you're tuned into my podcast it's live from my office steve from ithaca new york 
Thank you for listening to Live from My Office, a service of Monkey Run Productions. All rights reserved. The podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran, and it's mixed, edited, and produced by me, Ross Cochran. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to MC your event, and occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com for more. <laughs>